you got your mojo working? Do you just want to give it a good kickstart? Either way, you've come to the right station. The Mojo Radio Show will help you get your mojo working at work and at play. I got my mojo working, but it just won't work on you. Hey everybody, welcome to the show. Nice to have you on board. Thank you for hitting the download button. If you haven't subscribed yet, do yourself a big favour. Hit the subscription button on your chosen platform, whether it be iTunes or Stitcher, and we will deliver a show to you every Monday morning. What's the show for? It's to help get your mojo working in and out of the workplace. We find interesting folks that we think are something to share, an opinion, tips, tools, skills, a great backstory, and Robbo and I just talk to them and extract the best stuff to help you put it into your world and maybe even the world of a friend of yours you can, who's going through a hard time and they've lost their mojo and you can help them get it back, or in fact, if you got it, to keep it. Uh, Robbo, how's it uh, how's it going there behind the big red bus that we call the Mojo Radio Show with the with the velour seat covers? Oh, man, it's going really well, and you forgot the fluffy dice. It's going really the well. Velour seat covers. Remember that? <laughs> I how could I forget the velour seat covers? Just quickly <laughs> before we move on, I need to add one caveat to what you just said. As the editor of the Mojo Radio Show Facebook page, it would be remiss of me not to say also to jump onto our Facebook page, hit the like button because we do share the odd bit of gold in there as well, do we not? Well, we do. And I think um, the other part of it is that uh, when people jump on the Facebook and leave us a note or a like or whatever, and or go into iTunes and leave us a review, it just lets us know you're out there. It gets mm. our mojo working. Absolutely. Um, as, the, as our friends in America would say, we don't have any advertisements. <laughs> uh, sadly, we have no sponsors. Mm. <laughs> so uh, it's just we do it for the right reasons and we would just like to hear from you guys. And it also yeah, helps us to share absolutely. the message with more people. So yeah. we've got a great show in front of us. Mm. Um, but can you share that story you were saying about Liam before we uh, before we rolled and went to air? That mm. was a great story about Liam and his journal. Yeah, I can share that. Um, people who are regular listeners to the show will probably remember that a few months ago I spoke about Liam, my 10-year-old son, wanting a way to remember the thoughts that he was having. And so we talked about a journal. He decided that would be a good idea. And so I got him rolling with one. Mm. Um, and it was a couple of days after that, that he said to me, look, you know, it's, it's great, but um, I'm not quite sure how to do it. Is there a proper way to do it? And I suggested to him that he go back and have a listen to Glenn Capelli. Yeah, um, yep. That we spoke about. Yeah, Cap, mm. great guy. And, um, and have a listen to that episode because Cap went right into journaling, like using different colored pens and Cap, I think um, from memory, Cap draws pictures rather than writing words, mm. all that sort of stuff. So I said to him that it might be interesting for him to do that. Now, it was only uh, in the last couple of weeks that Liam came to me and we got onto the subject of journaling. And I asked him if he'd actually listened to that episode, thinking that, you know, 10 year old son of mine who would want to sit down for an hour and listen to his old man. And his answer to me was to me, yes. And, <laughs> and the skeptic in me said to him, well, okay, you tell me about the three Russian brothers. And he recited the story almost verbatim. So I was surprised by that and I actually think it's something that's worth going back for all of us to have a listen to because it's a, a great sort of piece of advice, isn't it? Or not even a piece of advice, a great lesson. Let's play. In visual note-taking, you try to convert one form of learning into another. So I was mucking around with this and um, uh, I was thinking that sometimes we get smarter by doing a bit more of and Morov to me sounded like a Russian brother. So Morov, if you say it in a funny voice. So 
Well, you know, in your health program, what is it you could do a bit more of? If you're running around the block for 20 minutes, but you could do 25 and go uphill, then that's a more of. You know, what has this essay got that's really good that we could do a bit more of? Um, me as a leader, what do I need to be doing more of, in your opinion? And then, but the trouble is that um, we tend to be a society that's good at more of, but um, maybe the second Russian brother we need to get a bit more happening, which is less of. You know, how, can I be smarter by doing less of something? Can uh, this essay be better by doing less of something? Me as a leader, what do I need to be doing less of? And then the third Russian brother is Riddov. Um, mm. So how do we do Riddov? What do we shed in our life? And, and when we have to shed something, um, how do we do it? Um, you know, mm. we've, we've been lousy at uh, how we get rid of footy coaches, um, how we get rid of our prime ministers we're not real good at. Um, so when you have to get rid of something, um, how you front up and do that. And also to know that, you know, there's a lot of superfluous stuff in our lives. Yeah. And then the, the mad cousin, his name is Tossin. So what new stuff do we need to toss into the brew? Um, what new element of thinking or action does this um, project require? You know, some organisations do their 360-degree feedback and, and it's, it's, it's anxiety-provoking in some ways. But if you do the Russians, you can get the same result as long as you're using a funny voice. Um, there's no threat to it. So, yeah, so if I'm pretty sure if that can stick in the mind of a 10-year-old and, and have some influence over the work that he's doing, I'm sure it can sort of help all of us, wouldn't you? Well, it is. I mean, so the other thing is, um, I mean, I think it's fantastic for Liam to adopt that. Mm. Um, I think it's very gratifying that out of one of our shows, it could have an impact on anybody of any age. I think that's really cool. Mm. We know the importance of journaling. I reckon 90% of guests that we have on the show Journal, and if they don't, they used to and want to get back to it again. Mm. The other thing about that piece with Cap is that we have had this thread going through our show for some time now about curiosity. Mm. And the Russian brothers and his mad cousin is just a wonderful tool to keep in the back of your mind to unlock great ideas and to be more curious because sometimes in the process, when you're brainstorming or sitting with yourself with your journal doing deep work, sometimes it helps to have a little bit of structure and it helps. With discipline, And as Jocko Willinks, the Navy SEAL, says, discipline equals freedom. And having the discipline of knowing those four steps to go through mm. really gives you the freedom then to explore and be curious and to create. So um, I think Liam has brought some valuable, valuable information to our show. Yeah. In fact, does he, um, does he do any sound production? Because uh, maybe he could take <laughs> out for his old man because we could do with some fresh thinking on this show. Yeah, well, I was actually going to say, I actually think he's probably the thinker of the family. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's, that's a good story. Yeah. Um, now, the other Sedgway, mm -hmm. um, thank you for mentioning it, Darren. Yes. Uh, <laughs> is <laughs> Glenn Capelli has done a fantastic song about a program called Are You OK? Yeah. The premise behind that is that if you've got a mate that's struggling with anxiety, depression, just don't see themselves and you are concerned about him or her, Are You OK? is just the, the, the idea of walking up and showing real concern, building some empathy and just trying to get inside that person's world just to make sure they're OK. Mm. Cap did a really interesting uh, song about it called Are You OK? And it has all the hand movements and hand mannerisms, which is good for kinesthetic learners and it's, it's got a great melody to it, so it's great for people who like to learn from listening. Mm. 
It's on YouTube under Glenn Capelli. Uh, and the reason I mention that as a segue mm. is that our guest today is also heavily involved with Are You OK? Is he really? I didn't know that. Yes. Yeah. So Graham Cowan is our guest today. And back at the start of the millennium, yes. Graham was joint managing director of a big, big company. Mm. Uh, and he then fell into a five-year episode of depression. Right. And it was so bad, his psychiatrist actually said it was the worst case of depression he'd ever treated. Wow. So wow. that was a massive wake-up call. It, it took him a while to come out of that dark hole. But on getting out of the hole, he said, I can't keep doing what I'm doing. So he set about turning his own life around, taking lessons, and now he works showing companies and individuals and people who are putting their hand out how do we build resilience? That's a word that we've talked about from the very early stages of the show is resilience and grit. Yeah. How do we build that and how do we manage our mood so that the outcome is we have better lives, we're more productive, better performance, better relationships. Mm. So um, I find this whole thing fascinating and I'm delighted to welcome Graham to the show. Graham Cowan, welcome to the Mojo Radio Show, mate. Thanks very much, Kerry. Lovely to be with you. Graham, it's great to have you here. Just, um, just to get us rolling, can you... Just briefly describe the sort of work you're doing day to day and the sort of people you'd be doing it with or for? I work primarily with uh, leaders and they're, they're leaders that are struggling with change fatigue, you know, trying to do more with less. And there's huge stress and disruption around that. And so what I'm primarily doing at the moment is um, uh, keynotes and uh, workshops which are designed uh, to help people put practical steps in place to just be more resilient, more robust in their life. And, uh, you know, what I say I do is that I, I help them create rituals to build their resilience, mood and performance. So that's probably a, a quick summary of what I mainly do. I'm just going to take us back a few years. You went through a five-year episode of depression, and what I found fascinating about this was your psychiatrist described it as the worst that he had ever treated. Can you take us back to that time when you're in the corporate world and that happened? What was it like at that moment before you went sort of beyond the brick? Like, what, what was that time like for you? Well, it was incredibly dark. I was working as a joint managing director for an executive search firm and Around about 2000, I was doing a fair bit of work in the very new and growing area of e-commerce and um, the market was booming, the phone was ringing, our team was growing, everything was great. And then on March 10, 2000 was the, the tech crash, you know, where tech shares plummeted, there was mass redundancies and no one was recruiting. And even though I'd had episodes of depression before, this was just in another league. You know, very short period of time, I lost my job, I lost my 20 marriage, I became estranged from my kids, and uh, I just, you know, couldn't seem to get out of it. And as you alluded to in the question, uh, my psychiatrist said it was the toughest that he'd ever worked with. I, I tried 23 different medications, I had shock therapy, I tried everything um, and I was 100% convinced I had suicide attempts. I was 100% convinced I, I wouldn't come out of it. Um, and so 
you know, I, I know what it's like to feel hopeless, but I also know that um, we can uh, recom- recover from it. And I also know that we can also emerge stronger from these cathartic experiences. Graham, having never been through this, I don't think, which I'll talk about in a second, but is it a breaking point or is it just a deepening of the darkness when somebody gets depressed? Well, you know, there are certainly dark thoughts and there's certainly um, low mood and energy and we all get that from time to time. But the thing about chronic depression is that it doesn't lift. It doesn't, you know, if they say that if you have these experiences, you know, one day or a few days, that's not clinical depression. But if it goes for seven days in a row and doesn't lift, that's when it becomes very chronic. And it also, um, there are different types of depression. And the type that I had is often called endogenous depression, which is, is a little bit related to an event happening, but more related to, you know, genetics and, and, and biology. And your actual thinking slows down, your body slows down, your energy slows down. And uh, that's what makes it just really, really difficult to, uh, to overcome. You and I work in the corporate world we see a lot of leaders each day how how would someone know that they are depressed yeah i think that's a a really good question i think um i talk about a concept of a moodometer and the moodometer goes from naught to ten naught is where you're dying and you've given up uh ten is where you're thriving physically mentally spiritually you feel resourceful you feel creative you feel energetic you feel positive and five is where you feel stressed and worried. Now, you, you don't feel great, but you still remember being better. Once you get below five and you really start to forget the good times you've had before, and that's when you know, you know you're in trouble. And what I really advise people to do is if they suspect they're getting around that point, that they go to somewhere like the Black Dog Institute website And there's a self-test there that you can do and answer just really 10 questions and get a very good idea about whether you might be clinically depressed or not. So that's a good objective way to get uh, some feedback. Say you're working with a workmate and you created this fantastic campaign uh, around Are You OK? And you talk about helping out a mate or a workmate or a friend and saying, are you okay? Generally, I know a lot of guys, we've got listeners around the the world, there's a lot of resilient people in rural areas or people who've been brought up to to shrug it off and get going. When someone says, yeah, mate, I'm fine, but in your mind you know they're not fine or you think, you suspect there could be something more going on. How do you get beyond that, yeah, I'm fine, mate? Yeah, there's a lot of denial, especially from males. Um, Believe me, this is probably one of the most common questions I get asked, particularly from women. You know, what this guy's obviously struggling, my brother, my father, my uncle, or whoever it is, what do I do? And what we say is this, is that, you know, first of all, we have the conversation. Structuring the conversation is important. You know, you break the ice. You talk about the weather, you talk about family, and then you make an observation about a change in behaviour. Some might be socialising less or slow with their reports. And then you ask, are you okay? Is everything okay? Now, step two is really important. It's listening without judgment. It's asking open-ended questions, getting people to 
talk and talk more because the more people feel understood, the greater our capacity to influence them. Third step is to get them to encourage them to take action, to see a GP, to call a helpline, to visit a, you know, a Beyond Blue or a Black Dog Institute website. And step four is to follow up to see if they've done it. Mm. Now, there are still people that do... Um, that are in denial or, or don't want to admit that they are struggling. And this is what I advise people to do is, um, you know, say to them, well, I understand that you're not ready to talk about it now, but I'm, I'm still really concerned for these reasons. And do you mind if we revisit this in a week's time if I sense that things aren't improving? And make sure you do follow up in a week's time because, um, you know, the, the timing can be critical and also the place. You know, I've, I've often found and often advised people to have that conversation outside when you're walking in nature shoulder to shoulder rather than across a desk face to face. Powerful advice, mate. I, um, hearing you say that, Graham, would you recommend those same steps for a parent or a teacher or a rugby coach dealing with a child? Totally, totally. You know, we've got lots of um, emails and anecdotes that say that, you know, one of my favourite takeaway emails is from a guy who visited a, um, uh, a Hungry Jacks, who's one of our major sponsors, and picked up a brochure while he was buying something with his daughter, 11-year-old daughter, and the daughter asked what was it about, and he explained, and... You know, he then asked her, are you okay? And it led to what he said was probably an hour and a half conversation, which was the most important conversation he'd ever had with his child. And uh, and then he also said that a week later when he was struggling with a couple of bits of bad news, his daughter then asked him if he was okay. So, wow. yes, you know, it, it does work for children. It does work. Um, there are nuances, you know, in, in some cultures, they find it very difficult to talk about mental health issues. You know, for yeah. example, the Indian culture, the Chinese culture, the Korean culture, um, they often find it very difficult to talk about. But in general, those principles apply um, across across humanity. Graham, it was a long episode you went through, five years. Uh, during that time, do you do you remember a significant moment that happened as part of your recovery? Like something someone said to you or something someone did or you did that really was a turning point for you getting sort of, sort of getting back on track again? Well, there was no um, huge epiphany that led to an overnight change. But I, I do remember one day because um, after my marriage broke down, I went and lived with my parents up in Foster on the North Coast for, um, for a period. And I remember just being in the kitchen one day with my mother and just really feeling really sorry for myself and saying, why me, why me, why me? And she's only about five foot two, but she has this steely gaze and, you know, she really looked me in the eye and said, you know, one day you'll use this to help other, other people. And at the time I thought, well, you know, you're crazy, but, but it, it's so to see. And I think... Ultimately, um, that advice was paramount to my my recovery because that led to me thinking about that. How could I do that? Well, I'll, I'll write my first book and then my second book and start to talk to people. And, and what I found is that even though I've gained incredible knowledge about how to build resilience and how to be robust, 
what I've found is the most powerful part of what I do is actually my story because a first-hand story provides real hope and it also invites other people to be honest about what's going on in their life and make a difference. Are you, with the leaders you're working with, uh, this workplace stress that people are under right now, and there's a lot of it, it must be having a massive impact on the family unit, isn't it? Yeah, well, you can't differentiate work and personal life. You know, mm-hmm. our work life has a massive impact on our on our home life. And, you know, that's what I find really invigorating about the work that I do is that if I, in, in, in these seven rituals that I take leaders through, they know that there's practical things they can do that make a difference, uh, practical things that can take them to the green zone. And that gives you a sense of control. And I think when there's any volatility, having a sense of control is one of the most important things. There's some very interesting work by um, uh, a psychology professor called Sonia Leobomirsky. She wrote a book called The How of Happiness. And what she did was to review um, over 400 peer-reviewed studies to look at what determines our mood and our well-being. And it basically comes down to three things, our genetics, the events that happen in our lives, and the actions we take each day. And what she found in this analysis was that our genetics contribute 50%. So some people are just more resilient than others, more robust, you know, better sense of well-being, et cetera, et cetera. But the second one, uh, which accounts for 40%, is our intentional actions, what we choose to do each day. And 10% is the events. And so when people are stressed stressed by a restructure or outplacement or outsourcing or re-engineering or whatever it might be, I say just to keep this in mind, you know, that's 10%, but there's 40% you can control. And the best way to approach this disruption is to keep yourself in the green zone where you're more energetic, more robust, more resilient. You've talked about uh, caring conversations, which I love. And something Rob and I have talked to, to many guests about is that today we don't really have conversations. We're really just exchanging statements and we're just waiting for our turn to talk. And as the other person is talking, we're really rehearsing our own response. And if they don't finish quick enough, we'll talk over them to get started. But you talk about caring conversations. I'd be interested in your thoughts or your suggestions to a leader or a parent or a partner. How do you how do you have or create really great caring conversations with someone else? Yeah, it's interesting, and I'll just um, mention some evidence that, that caring conversations are not only powerful, but, but they produce fantastic business results. The Gallup organization has been researching engagement or discretionary effort of employees for over 40 years. And they now have it down to 12 questions which nail whether uh, an employee is engaged or not engaged. But the one question more than anything else which determines whether they are is this, I have a supervisor or someone at work who seems to care about me as a person. The more people agree with that statement, the higher the productivity, the higher the employee longevity, and the higher the customer service levels that organisation delivers. So there's some really robust information that shows that care wow. is very powerful. But to answer your question, um, I think one of the most important things to do is to put yourself in the other person's shoes. 
and to really think you know deeply about what they might be experiencing personally and to try and meet them at their level if they're you know flatter or despondent don't come in gung-ho and over the top um, or trying to lift their mood meet them at their level so the, f- the first question is, when is the most important time? And I share this in my keynotes. And, and, of course, everyone says now. And I say, well, isn't that interesting? We say that now. We say that um, in, from an intellectual point of view. But how much of our worry is determined by being fearful of the future or stressed by something in the past? So that's the first thing, you know, being present in the now. The second question is, who is the most important person? And there's a very interesting question on this because I've been asked the, the, the groups to discuss this with themselves and inevitably the people come back and say, well, yourself, you know, it's, you've got to take care of yourself. The most important person is the person you are with. So we, when you're with someone else, that's them. But when you're with, by yourself, that's you. Looking after, you know, being yourself is the most important person if you're by yourself. And, and the third question is, what is the most important thing to do? And the most important thing to do is to care for the person you're with. And so that's the key to a caring conversation, being present, making the person you're with the most important person and having that mindset of care, of wanting to assist, of seeking to understand before you provide solutions, but just being there, honestly, just listening is at least at least, I reckon, 70% of it, listening in an empathetic way. That's a cracker. It's gold. That's gold. gold. You, <laughs> you mentioned mastering our mood and you've said before, master your mood, master our lives. If Robbo and I want to master our mood, what are the steps or what, would, what advice do you give to people to help or tools or tips or techniques to mastering their mood? Because I reckon that's a, that's a, that's a cracker. Yeah, well, you know, as I said, back in the research shows that 40% of our well-being is determined by what we choose to do each day. So I talk about seven rituals, and ritual one is to live your one thing. And your one thing is the thing that keeps you centred, the thing that feeds your soul. And I provide, you know, a story and an anecdote in my keynote that allows people to help discover that. And what I find is that it's different for everyone. For For someone it's spending quality time with their wife. For someone else, it's fishing. For someone else, it's going on a two-hour bike ride two times a week. For someone else, it's when they come home from work, they water their garden for two hours. I've had a burly coal miner say for him it was singing in the choir three times a week. So I take people through a process to identify that, but the important thing then is to live it, to make sure that you make time to make that happen. Ritual two is to refuel daily. And that's doing things like exercise regularly, eat well, having time for rest. Ritual three is to nurture self. Nurture self means spending time each week with people that are good for you. We all have people that suck our energy out of us and suck life out of us. We'll consciously make a decision to be with people that you, when you're with them, you go away feeling better. Make that a priority each week. Ritual four is to play to your strengths, to know your top five strengths, because when people use their top five strengths, research shows that they are 600% more engaged in their work and 300% more likely to report 
high life satisfaction. Ritual five is progress is better than perfection. Be grateful for little steps in the right direction. Don't be be self-compassionate. Don't beat yourself up. You know, acknowledge um, research by Martin Seligman shows that you write down three things every night before you go to sleep that you're grateful for no matter what sort of day you've had. If you do that for a week, you've been shown to improve for up to six months later. And number seven is to be true to yourself. You know, I love um, Maya Angelou's definition of success is, you know, success is when you like yourself, like what you do and like how you do it. And I think it's really important that people have a sense of purpose and understand the benefit they deliver to other people. And I take people through a process of, of really considering what's their proudest career achievement? What were they doing then? Who were they helping? How were the people they were helping? How do they benefit? And uh, and if people are interested to get a bit more flesh on the bones on that, on my um, website, which is uh, Graham Cowan, G-R-A-E-M-E-C-O-W-I-N.com.au, you can download a free poster of those seven rituals and you'll also uh, get an email on each of those seven rituals. It's half time on the Mojo Show and time to pause for a cause. Hello there, my name's Andrew Griffiths. I'm an author and a corporate uh, speaker and, uh, and an entrepreneur in uh, many different ways. One of the charities that I'm a big supporter of is the Abused Child Trust. And the reason I'm a supporter of them is because I was an abused child. Uh, and I've seen the good that this organisation has done in Queensland and throughout Australia. Unfortunately, child abuse is more prevalent today than it's ever been. And uh, the Abused Child Trust really needs a lot of people to help. Check them out online. You can go to abusedchildtrust.com.au. You'll find them. Do what you can to help. Spread the word and uh, make the difference. The Mojo Radio Show. I love that Maya Angelou definition of success. How would you personally, how do you personally define success? Well, I, I would only add one thing to what she says, um, and that is knowing why you do it. You know, I, I, I ref, you know, why, what is the kick you get out of it? And, but I, I think that's as good as it gets. You know, at the end of the day, <laughs> you can fool other people, but you can't fool yourself. And, mm. you know, you have to ask yourself, do I like myself? Do I like what I'm doing? Do I like how I'm doing it? Do I like why I'm doing it? And, you know, I, I really recommend that everyone at the end of each week rates themselves out of 10 on each of those questions. And if they don't like the answer, um, reboot. <laughs> we reboot our computers. <laughs> let's reboot our life. You know, let's let's make some adjustments to to, to focus on the things that, that we love and that make us stronger and more resilient. We quite often talk about rituals on the show, Graham, and you've talked about a resilience ritual. Can you describe that for me? Well, it's consciously choosing things that make you stronger, make you better, make you healthier. And, you know, I use I use that word rather than habit because we can have good and bad habits, yeah. whereas ritual to me is a, a deliberate choice to do something that's better for you. And to have a ritual, we need three things. We need the motivation, we need ability, and we need a trigger. And the trigger is something that prompts you to do it. Um, you know, it could be, you know, if you decide you want to walk regularly in the morning, well, the first trigger might be, well, at night, my trigger is brushing my teeth and after I brush my teeth at night, I'm going to set my clothes out in the morning so it's really easy to get up, put them on, and just go for a walk in nature. The motivation comes from knowing that if you 
do have a 30-minute brisk walk, your mood is better two hours later, four hours later, up to 12 hours later, according to the Mayo Clinic. And the ability thing is just making it easy, you know, just yeah. starting small but gradually building up. So that's the, you know, they're, they're the key things to having the right ritual, having that mat in place, the motivation, the ability and the trigger. If you were leading an organisation right now, whether it be you've got two or three employees, 10, 50 or 800, if you're a leader right now based on what you've been through the last number of years, and you were going to give them one piece of advice right now to action from this show, what would you say to a leader? Well, my, my advice is to go for the green zone. And what the green zone is, is taking personal responsibility yourself to be healthy, robust and resilient. Because if you are that place personally as a leader, you've been shown to be, and this is how the business review research, you've been shown to be 31% more productive, 37% more influential, 300% more creative. That's pretty compelling information. But the second thing is, is that if you lead a sustainable and healthy existence, it massively increases the likelihood that those that work with you and around you will as well. So I say, you know, your first priority is to keep yourself in the green zone. The second priority is to keep your tribe in the green zone. And your third priority is to have the will and the skill to help those in the red zone. Based on the rituals, the green zone, your backstory, when Graham wakes up in the morning, what's your first 60 minutes look like? Well, you might recall that, you know, I talked about Ritual one is live your one thing. And what I worked out my one thing was was meditation. So I get up every morning uh, somewhere between 5 and 5.30 and I meditate for half an hour. And then I either walk in nature or go to a strength conditioning class. And so most, you know, at least five out of seven days, I would start the day like that and and then when I come back for the exercise class, that's when I plan my day. And I decide on one thing that if I complete that today, that will have the greatest impact for my work longer term. And then, you know, work back from that. So that's really my first 60 minutes. Uh, we, we often talk about Bruce Lee, Graham, who was the famous movie star and martial artist back in the day. And he had a saying that said, it's not the daily increase, but the daily decrease. Hack away at the unessentials. Is there something in your world in the last 12 months that you've hacked away at to get rid of that's made a profound, uh, had a profound impact on your own world? That's a really good question. And I, th I, think, I think it really comes down to working out, you know, what's important to you and what isn't. And... If I could say the big thing that I've focused on, like as I said, my purpose is to help leaders build rituals that will build their resilience, mood, and performance. And what I've tried to do is to is to get rid of all the stuff that isn't that mainstream, you know. So, um, you know, have more support around me. I've got a business manager now that manages a lot of the admin, that manages a lot of the client activity. Um, you know, I outsource all the accounting stuff. I, um, and I think I've also, <laughs> um, you know, made an effort more to focus on the good people that are good for me and let some of the other people slip away. 
um, because life's too short to maintain relationships with everyone. So let go of the stuff that isn't your core purpose, but also the people that aren't your core as well. That's not to say, you know, you don't um, care for them or don't regard them, but it's just acknowledging that you're better off to spend time with the fewer people that are good for you. I think we're off Graham's Christmas card list, guys. <laughs> Go on. Before we get to the big question, Graham, which we've been holding back on, which I'll let Robbo uh, lead out with, the big question's coming. This is just a, a segue into that. Finish this sentence for me. You just mentioned, and you said it a couple of times, which I love the, the thought of a resilient leader. But I'd like to know if I am a resilient leader. Can you finish it for me? A resilient leader is someone who dot, dot, dot. Who consciously creates rituals that keeps them strong and robust and healthy no matter what situation they find themselves in. We interviewed a fabulous lady called Carolyn Adams-Miller back when we, in fact, it was the start of 2015. It was a fantastic show. Carolyn talks about grit and we had a long discussion about grit. Do you think grit is different to resilience? I think there's a hell of overlap, quite frankly. Um, You know, um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of overlap and, you know, I, I, I'm just fascinated on, on all the different angles and tweaks and the whole capacity <laughs> to flourish. And I was just reading something incredibly interesting this morning of research that was done with really underprivileged kids, you know, kids with alcoholic parents and kids with with um, really um, an unprosperous and difficult life. And not surprisingly, about two-thirds of them went off the rails, but a third of them were actually shown to really flourish and thrive. And what they did when they really unpacked that was it was the way they viewed the event um, or what they called the traumatic event. And the ones that thrived were the ones that looked at as an opportunity to learn and grow rather than a traumatic event. And so I think whether it's grit or resilience, the way that you look at something that happens really determines the final outcome. Very good answer, mate. Uh, we shall let you get on to your day. Uh, but before we do that, Robbo, the big question. Here's the big question, and this is what we've been warming you up for for the last 40-odd minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I'll wait with bated breath. <laughs> You're out of bed at 5.30. You've, you've, uh, you've, you've gone for your walk in nature and you've done your meditation but your mojo's still not quite sparking. You're in the car on the way to work and you've got a big presentation that day. What's the go-to tune to get Graham Cowan pumping ready for the day? Easy, easy. Bruce Springsteen rising. Oh, the boss. Ooh. Oh, the boss. Good answer. Yes. Yeah, got to love the boss. He, he, he wrote that album after 9-11 and mm-hmm. it served as inspiration for the people of New Jersey who lost a lot of uh, fire firefighters. And um, so, yeah, the, well, it's really that whole album, um, but in particular there's the, 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 the song The Rising. So that's my song. Lovely. Got to love the boss. You've got to love the boss. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> 
Graham, this has been great. I have got a page of notes. I, I really admire your journey, where you're at, how you're helping people, how you articulate your material. Uh, tell us about your books quickly and then just explain where we can find out more information about you, mate. Yeah, sure. Um, my latest book is called Thriving Naturally, which has got a 30-day plan to go for the green zone. And that can be found on my website, which is gronkowan.com.au, Graham spelled G-R-A-E-M-E-C-O-W-A-N.com.au. And I also have um, two other books, uh, Back from the Brink, which is firsthand stories of people who have been through depression and adversity about how they came back from the brink, what worked for them. And uh, third book is Back from the Brink 2, T-O-O, and that's how best to help someone going through depression. Um, so, yeah, and that book was made St. Australia's Book of the Year. So, um, yeah, they're, they're the books that, um, that I have. And the campaign that you are heavily involved with, Are You OK?, where would you send people to get details about that from, mate, if they want to hear more, learn more, be a part of it? Yeah, the best way is to go to the website, which is uh, the letters ruok.org.au. And um, there's lots of resources, videos, and information there about how people can get get involved. We've got a great workplace program, which we're continually uh, continuing to evolve and to make, because um, ultimately we want to create Are You OK 365, not just Are You OK Day. And, um, you know, that's our mission now is to help create Are You OK cultures or caring cultures in organisations. Well, mate, this has been uh, fantastic. We thank you for your time. Thank you for sharing. And uh, I'm sure people want to find out more about you and grab those books. So, um, Graham Cowan, thanks for joining the Mojo Radio Show, mate. It's been awesome. Thanks, guys. Really enjoyed it. The Mojo Radio Show. So, folks, if you are interested in Are You OK, go onto YouTube and check out Glenn Capelli's song as well because it's a very melodic, very kinesthetic, tactile lesson. You can play it to the kids and it really helps embed it in your own mind because we all need someone at some time to say, mate, are you okay? So um, now, speaking of music, I believe you're taking us on a musical odyssey today. Oh, just a quick little one, yeah. The, um, the Journal of Positive Psychology has published a report into the effects that different types of music has on our mood and brain mm-hmm. in general. Um, and I just thought it was really interesting. They, they go through 15 genres of music, but let's just concentrate on what I reckon are the five most popular ones. Right. Blues is the first one. Ah! Um, Mm -hmm. Now, they suggest that if you're feeling nervous or anxious that you listen to some blues music um, because it's been shown to help calm you um, and they're pretty sure that this is because the rhythm uh, of blues music has been shown to reduce the human heart rate in general. So that's not a bad Mm. one. Just on that, uh, just a shout-out and a uh, rest in peace to B.B. King, who we lost in the last year, who was one of the greatest of all-time blues fans. I grew up Mm. on B.B. King and uh, it was a sad loss. That was indeed. Uh, mm. Now, if you want to uh, crank yourself up, get your mojo going, which is my favourite question, as you well know, um, punk and rock, has, which is no real surprise, has been shown to um, to brighten your mood. And it's because the study suggests that um, that type of music actually increases your adrenaline levels. Yeah, yeah. It gets your heart going. Yeah, yeah it does. It gets you pumping. Now, if you want to calm yourself down, 
you can go one of two ways. Reggae. Buffalo soldier, Perhaps as expected is the first major one. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, but you, you need some recreational... Uh, yeah. yeah, well, you know, it's been legalised in New South Wales now, so come on, you know, for, med- for medicinal purposes. <laughs> uh, I heard a fabulous interview with Family Man who's played bass yeah. for Bob Marley yeah. for all these years and he still today plays with the Whalers. Yeah. And every time they talked about that, he said they talked about the herb and he said, <laughs> we smoke the herb for medicinal purposes. Yeah, right, of course you do. <laughs> Well, listen, you don't need to smoke the herb to get the same result because this study has showed that probably due to the rhythm of the music, um, it actually does calm you down because it seems that the rhythm of that music actually mimics the um, the heart rate of a resting human heart, which also, yeah, just as an aside, um, and Gary, I know you know this, Baroque classical Baroque music has the same effect. Well, Baroque music was written to slow the heart down. Mm. So the tempo of the music is specifically written to mm. put you in a more creative place. In fact, there was a, a very well-known album many years ago when I first started in the speaking circuit called Mozart for Children. Mm. And uh, it uses you know, Mozart and Handel and Tchaikovsky and all these guys um, because the music is so good for opening up your creative spirit. Mm. I know a lot of writers, uh, composers, musicians, um, and people who want to get in there, bloggers who play that in the background when they are creative. Yeah, right. There you go. I might give that a whirl. Mm. So on the subject of classical music, does it reduce our heart rate in some types of classical music? But it also, in general, classical music has been shown to increase our brain power and help us sleep better at night. Well, there's also science showing that music like that, and let's use Mozart as an example, played for children. Mm when they're going to sleep in their very early stages of their life um, helps to foster not only rest and relaxation for the children, but also build those connections in the mm-hmm. brain. So uh, there is a lot of science behind yeah. that Baroque music yeah. stuff. Well, the science behind country music isn't going to make you very happy, Mr. Country Music Fan. You don't have to call me darling, darling. You never even call Oh, yeah, go on, what's that? Well, this study has suggested that uh, country music is linked to depression and even suicide. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's flawed. Yeah, right. (laughs) Flawed research. However, in saying that, if you play Mm. a country song backwards... You get your girl, your truck, and your dog back again. So, <laughs> there you go. Oh, well, there you go. It's, it's worth listening to. I would probably suggest, though, that if you're already feeling a bit depressed, that country music is not the one to go looking for. <laughs> well, I'll let you know because I'm going to the country music festival up at Ipswich, the big CMC yeah. country rocks. Um, it is a big three-day festival. I'm going to the first two days to see some of these big international acts. Some of my favourite acts are playing mm-hmm. there, and I'm going to be... Uh, Putting on the boots, belt buckle, and the uh, and the tat time. So I'll uh, I'll give a report as I go around the uh, camping ground. Yeah, and the guys are drowning their sorrows in Bundy and Forest. Maybe you can do a uh, maybe you can do an on-site report for us while you're up there. <laughs> oh goodness, that could be colourful. <laughs> anyway, very good. All right. Mojo Radio Show. God of Rock, thank you for this chance to kick ass. 
The Mojo Radio Shows. Lessons in Rock. So let's stay on the musical theme. I believe you have a lesson of rock of one of my favourite Everest bands. Yeah, you too. Indeed, absolutely. Uh, and their song, Angel of Harlem. I'm sure you know mm-hmm. that one. Everybody knows that great one. Song. It is a great song. Did you Love know it. the subject matter? Do you know who the Angel of Harlem is? Uh, negatory goodbye. Well, you would when I mention her name, Billie Holiday. I love, in fact, talking of blues, mm-hmm. you spoke of B.B. King, but gee, Billie Holiday. Now, there, there is a lady who really could sing the blues. That is just, that takes you to another place. Absolutely. For those of you who aren't aware, Billie Holiday was a jazz and blues singer back in the 40s yep. and 50s. And, uh, mm. Yeah, she was. She lived in the New York area, and um, yeah, so that that became the subject of the lyric written by Bono for "Angel of Harlem." Now, do you know where their musical influence came from that song? Uh, no. Well, they actually mention it in the song, so you will. You remember the line uh, "BLS, I heard the sound." Yep. WBLS is actually a radio station in New York, and Bono was in the car one day heading to wherever he was heading to, listening to WBLS and became inspired by some of the music he was listening to and he and The Edge sat down and cranked out Angel of Harlem as we know it today. Yeah, good lesson. And the lesson would be just taking note of, you know, what's around you and turning it into or using that to fuel your creativity for whatever it is that you need to uh, to work on yourself. So, yeah, a simple yeah. but good one. Well, it's knowing, that, it's knowing that the ideas are out there. Mm. Mm. It's just we're not curious enough we're not switching off. We're not taking our face out of a screen. We're not looking up, looking around. Mm. We're looking and not seeing and listening and not really hearing what's going on. Yeah. But um, I think great songwriters and poets and people like that, artists, are always out there mm. looking for that sort of stuff. Yeah. But business people tend to just rush from meeting to meeting to get stuff done. So I think that's a good uh, it's a good lesson. Yeah, the that. thing I like to that it occurred to me too is that you sort of if you're working on an idea for a fridge, you don't just need to look at other fridges, do you? You, you can look at mm. the garden. You can look at a car and be inspired and go, oh, actually, well, there's an idea for my fridge. So, yeah. True. So, uh, I, there's not much of a better way to play out than by playing that song, I would think. And uh, just before we do go, a quick congratulations to uh, to Wallaby's flanker, stroke number eight, David Pocock, who uh, in the last couple of weeks was announced as the ABC Grandstand Sports Personality of the Year. Oh, nice. Yeah. And more importantly, big fan of the Mojo Radio Show. <laughs> oh, big <laughs> yes. fan. Big fan. Yeah, I mean, I've... Uh, if there's a Monday morning, if the show isn't out by six o'clock on a Monday yeah. morning, Pocock, in fact, the whole Wallaby front row, the whole pack, yeah, right. <laughs> are on the blower saying, boys, yeah. Yeah, yeah. get the mojo working, let's mate, go, I, let's can, go. What's can I up? just tell you, there, I, there would be nothing more scary than Will Skelton knocking on your door going, mate, where's the mojo radio show? You'd have it at <laughs> two seconds flat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just uploading it. That's fellas. it. Be right with exactly. you. Exactly. All right, well, that's it All for right, this week. Well, that's, it. that's it. Good show, we're out.
Mojo Radio Show is produced and recorded in the studios of Voodoo Sound. For more tips and tools to get your mojo working, check us out on Facebook at the Mojo Radio Show or online at themojoradioshow.com. For more about Gary, see garybirtwhistle.com or to polish your next audio or video production, check out voodoosound.com.au and for the right voice, realtimecasting.com. Andrew Peters speaking. See you next time.